This is the one with a duff bunch of bandits. A demented space tramp. An astrologer extraordinary, with obviously a very fine woman for a mother, born under the sign of Petos, middle cusp. And a giant lumbering growling dick and balls stuck in a hole. <laughs> it's called <laughs> The Creature from the Pit. Here, Here we, we go. Uh- <laughs> We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space Counting Daleks, Dalek, Boot and the Cybertronic race Tontorans look like taters and Silurians all have wonky scales And the Doctor has a TARDIS We're reviewing all his tales Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is Who back when? Subscribe and read on iTunes please Episode by episode We're trudging down this temporal Come join us on this odyssey What other choice could there be than Who back when? Well, hello and welcome, you beautiful people out there in podcast land. You are listening to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc Past. Yes. Uh, pray tell, what voice did I hear there? Was that from uh, Mr. Leon? It was. Oh, please call me Leon. Hi. Hi, Leon. <laughs> For now, I'm rebranding. Who are you? Oh, me? I'm just some bugger called Jim. Anyway, <laughs> uh, what are we doing today? Hey, we are talking about the creature from the pit. Legendary. I feel like the legendary is for very particular reasons in this instance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll get into that. <laughs> How are we feeling about this in general? You know what? I liked it. Yeah? Okay. It's no city of death. No. But it's... I didn't think it was bad. I think this was a good serial. Okay. This is interesting. I'm not quite sure where I am with it. I'm thinking it's maybe not a good serial. <gasps> Excellent. See who comes out on top. <laughs> <laughs> hey oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that we, uh, we always flip a coin for it anyway. Anyway, um, <laughs> shall we give the beautiful people out there a little bit of a uh, summary of what is happening in this serial? Some might say a bite-sized chunk of who? Oh, Jim, you have a big heart. Yes, let's. Time for us to synopsize. Lebify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew. And listen to this overview. This free-for-all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. When Romana 2 attaches a transceiver to the TARDIS console, it picks up at a stress call and immediately takes her and the fourth Doctor to the planet Chloris. There, Princess addresses the rules with an iron fist, ironically, as she also holds a monopoly over the only iron mine in the planet, making metal the most valuable commodity there is. Anyone who dares cross Adrasta is cast by her soldiers into a, hmm, let's call it a pit, where resides a, let's call it a creature, that seemingly consumes all life brought before its dubious countenance. Along for the ride is also a band of hirsute bandits that obviously plays a part in this serial. But who is the creature? What's with the giant eggshell on the surface? And does Adrasta know more than she's letting on? Stay tuned to find out. Briscal over. You are welcome. <laughs> Aren't you just? <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Well, let's just get this out of the way, shall we? There is one particular scene in this serial that has, shall we say, gone down in Whovian <laughs> history <laughs> as the root cause, root cause of <laughs> this serial's legendary status. Was it all that you had hoped for? Actually, I felt a little bit let down. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I expected some rubbing or some full mouth round a monster 
action, not just this appendage, I'm going to mistake for a microphone. He does put this appendage, podcast land, you all know what we're talking about. We're talking about when Tom Baker's fourth doctor goes down on the, uh, uh, can't remember what the alien's called, Erato. He does put Erato's appendage inside his mouth, and then he blows into the appendage. (laughs) (laughs) But that's it. I know for a fact that at some point, like, not at some point, the second, it was JD who told me about this, the second JD mentioned, yeah, dude, there's a scene where Tom Baker's doctor gives an alien a blowjob. I know for a fact that I immediately YouTubed it. But I had forgotten what it was, and I was absolutely expecting something more salacious. I mean, for one, (laughs) certainly not true of real life, it was over in a second. (laughs) You know, no one's smoking a cigarette afterwards. No one's talking about what it means now for the relationship. Yeah. <laughs> There's an interesting thing on Wikipedia about this, though, saying that the, the phallic appearance of the proboscis... <laughs> Is that what uh, it's called? ...resulted in uncontrolled laughter on the studio, so they had to add in that pair of pincers to the Oh, people. really? <laughs> Because in the beginning, we don't even see the pincers. They're, they're only for the close-ups later on, right? Right. Yeah. And in the beginning, I mean, it is just a straight-up dick and balls. It's huge. It is an enormous, just a gigantic scrotum with what is just a self-guiding dick attached to it. <laughs> Very huge. I thought of it more as just like a pair of hips. With, with really? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's bigger than just balls. <laughs> I mean, oh, by the way, Podcast Land, for any new listeners out there in Podcast Land, don't worry about it. We're going to get this out of our systems momentarily and then we'll get into the <laughs> review proper. But how can you not talk about the dick and balls? Okay, I did not see hips. That's fine. I mean, for a while there, I was wondering how this thing gets around. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I have a different question for you about the dick and balls. Green veins. It, well, about this creature. When the doctor is in the giant cave, in the in the larger cavern, yeah, and he actually communicates with Erato and, and so on. This is pre-microphone nipple, but he's talking to Erato. He's talking as Erato yeah. anyway. At that point, it seems almost as though Erato is much bigger than just the Dickenbolts, and that the Dickenbolts is sort of a separate entity that splits off and goes wandering around the caves. Did you also yeah. get this impression? I did get that impression. I always got the impression that they were entirely inconsistent with what the hell the creature was. Oh, right. Okay. That might just be down to lacking visual effects budget. Oh, maybe. I'm not sure. Because well, there are definitely scenes where there's kind of like a green overlay yes. around the edge of like the real physical prop. I mean, some of those scenes are green screened or blue screened or what have you. Yeah, the largest scene, like those cave scenes, presumably. Also, I think also close-ups. The, oh, okay. th- there's one of the nipple scenes when the uh, the Hagrids have carried in the nipple and they've mounted it onto Erato and it's sort of it's growing in the background. That's green screened. I'm uh, I'm almost certain that's that's overlaid. Yeah, probably right. Yeah. Anyway, I yeah. didn't didn't seem to be as big a deal as advertised. Yeah. Blinked and you missed it. A million heos, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> It is, of course, the thing that comes up most if you do an image search for this episode. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But like you said, we had to get it out of our system. But I feel like feel like I'm done. Don't need to talk about that. Yeah, me too. Got that, yeah. I got that yep. dick out of my system. How big is it? Huge. Huge. Giant green cock and balls. How huge? 100 feet. Perhaps two. Huge. I'm sure there'll be future mentions of the dick and balls in this episode. But yeah, let's move on. You're right. <laughs> 
So where would you like to start? Maybe I actually want to start with something that we had a, had a brief little confab uh, before we started. Oh, we yes. may have the, have the same note for, but we may not. We're not quite sure. We yeah. both want to make mention of the reboss operation. Yes. Mine would be with a general question. Do the BBC writers not understand economics? Interesting. Not the same observation that I made. Oh, okay. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah but I also have a, a note about how does the, this planet's economy work? Because it seems as though there's one town that's ruled by this princess, by the yes. evil princess Adrasta, who, by the way, the, throughout the entire serial, I thought her name was Ad Astra until I read the trivia bit that she was originally called Ad Astra and then renamed Adrasta by Douglas Adams. Oh. So there's this one town where she rules and she owns the only iron mine. And, I mean, metal in general is the currency. Yeah. They don't have the technology to move around this whole planet, so they can't know of anything else. This This is... This is a townsfolk as opposed to a planetary population. But how is... I mean, if you take... If you steal... Okay, all right. Okay, here's the thing. Let's transpose this to our society right now. Let's say you do like a money heist, you know, Casa de Papel kind of situation where you break into a mint, you print a whole bunch of money, and you take that, you steal that from the mint, and now you're multi-millionaires or billionaires or whatever. But if yeah. the only other person that you can spend that money with is the mint itself, that <laughs> money is worthless. <laughs> yeah. I, I realize I've made a massive mistake. It's not the Rebus operation I wanted to draw attention to. It's the pirate oh. plan. Oh, right. The one where basically everyone has gems. And they're like, hey, we're super rich. We've got gems. <laughs> but everyone has gems. <laughs> That's and so no true. to do with them. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was a comparison more, more directly I was, trying to, I was trying to make. So everyone wants metal. Yeah. But they see it just as, like, we tend to look at rare metals or crystals either because they've been manufactured a certain way and marketed a certain way like diamonds or they just genuinely are rare elements sure. yeah and some of that is to do with we like shiny things some of that is to do with their particular properties and we use them like gold is used in circuitry and all this kind of stuff but all we see particularly from the bandits is oh shiny give me shiny shiny make me rich <laughs> and, and then it's just like no how what <laughs> they do want to melt it i mean I, we never get to see coins and we never get to see bars or anything like that as in you know or gold bars or, or even armor or tools or yeah like there's no real obvious sign that they are a metal wielding society like there there are obviously bits here and there but it's not the way it's like heralded as the most important thing ever like beyond water <laughs> like <laughs> they're just like no no don't I'll go, I'll go thirsty today just give me that lump of silver please that's super true i wonder if maybe the reason for that is that we never get to see regular life on this planet we only see the the royal court, which is filled to the brim with metal stuff. She sits on a golden throne. Yeah. And we get to see the bandits, who, they do have wooden clubs, but they also all have metal knives. But then we never get to see them barter. They don't have coins. There's there's nothing where they, they go, oh, this cup, once melted down, can be exchanged for a house. There's no monetary value associated with these items. They just go, oh, we have a sack of metal balls. We're rich! <laughs> exactly. Great. Oh, okay. There's not even a, a, a scene where they're bested by the guards people 
people because they have swords. They have metal swords and they've just got wooden clubs. It's also like, true. We need, we need to get the metal to make our own weapons and then we can take over the aristocracy or something, you know. There's yeah. Nothing, nothing, that, I, know. I, I have to say, the bandits were just shit. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been totally removed from the cereal and nothing of value would have been lost. <laughs> That's interesting because I felt that they were great. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> wow. I mean, they weren't the most fleshed out characters, obviously, and they were really dumb. But I think I loved every moment that they were on screen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. But I'm really pleased that we are on opposite sides of this table. So why yeah. were they shit? Tell me. Well, convince me. It just continually felt like they were meant to be comedic. Yeah. No, at the start, it definitely felt like they were meant to be comedic. And they, I didn't find them funny. They just seemed stupid and poorly written. <laughs> and then later on, they became slightly involved in the plot. But for the most part, it was just as, well, people moving a prop around. Um, that, was, you know, that was their strongest involvement in the plot, was delivering what you called the nipple, what I called the shield. Okay. So that <laughs> the creature could communicate properly. And then, yeah, they, they're slightly caught up in this weird someone stolen the, uh, was it proton drive? I forget. Yeah, it was Don- something. Don- neutron drive? So oh, a neutron whatever. Star, oh, that's right. Yeah, anyway. The bit of the shell that happened to be the, the drive for the shell spaceship, which isn't at all looking like a butt plug. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so they're they're kind of involved in that, but then that is a weird little tangent that didn't really need to happen. And I don't know, they didn't really massively entertain me when they were on screen. Okay, I thought they were relatively amusing foils for the other characters. They they were certainly not well developed, and that would be a complaint akin to the we never get to see regular life uh, aspect of this serial. But I did find them amusing, and I, I in particular enjoyed the moment when the main Hagrids, they're just, in my notes, they're just the Hagrids. So when the main Hagrid gets stabbed by uh, the old lady, by the golden girl, yeah, and he looks at the knife and goes like, is that tempered steel? <laughs> and he collapses. It's like, Wow, even to this moment, you are totally into metal, man. You know, props. Well done. I, I can <laughs> respect the nerds. Yeah, that's fine. I kind of like <laughs> The one thing that they could not do, and I think that's the head Hagrid as well, could not fall down. The scene where K-9 blasts him and he goes, uh, he goes limp. He's just like, oh, oh, I guess it's time for me to swoon. And he very slowly rotates and very comfortably lays down on the floor. So, yeah, well done, buddy. <laughs> so anyway, this was far removed from my reboss operation note. Okay, what's that then? The character of Organon, the, the seer, oh, the seer yeah. extraordinary, in my notes is just listed as Binro Mark II. Forgotten about Binro. Because he feels, he feels like a straight up rehash of Binro the heretic. He lives in caves. He was cast in there or is a heretic, oh sorry, is a hermit because he dared to look up at the stars and talk about life on other planets in other worlds. And he's kind of comic relief paralleling the Doctor. Super duper Binro Mark II, man. Yeah. No, I think you got something there. My first note about him, actually, was I felt like there was a bit of Slotty Bartfast. Who's Slotty Bartfast? Is that a 
Hitchhiker, Hitchhiker thing. Yeah. Which one is Slotty Bartfast? So Slotty Bartfast is the one that's been in charge of making the earth. Oh, right. It's, it's just something about his mannerisms, I think, and delivery at the start. It, it goes away pretty quickly as he turns more into soothsayer guy. But it was just, yeah, something about that slight irre- irrelevance. Irreverence? Irreverence? Irreverence. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't hear you. I was driving through a tunnel. <laughs> Yeah, a note, note I picked up on, but I think you're definitely right with the Binbro thing. Maybe it's just a trope and we encounter this in a lot of sci-fi, but it felt like, yeah, you're recycling material in this uh, at this point. On that note, by the way, I need, to, I need to look something up. I need to look up the year that something aired. Uh, when did this air, by the way? This aired between October 27th to November the 17th in 1979. 1979. We're so close to the 80s. It is not even funny how close to the 80s we are. I mean, given that schedule over, I guess it could be the next but one serial. I'm going I'm to find out in the meantime. Next one is Nightmare of Eden ends 15th of December. The one after that, Horns of Nimon or Horns of Nimon, still unsure of how to pronounce that. Then we're into January 1980. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, that's pretty rad. So let's find out. I want to I want to find out when a particular Star Trek the original series episode aired. 9th of March 1967 saw the airing of a, a Star Trek TOS season 1 episode called The Devil in the Dark which also sprang to mind when watching this and that's in The Devil in the Dark that's the one the uh, oh, damn it Jim I'm a doctor not a bricklayer it's <laughs> they they go to a planet Kirk and Spock and McCoy and everyone they go to a planet where there's a mining operation on this mining planet there's some sort of creature in the mines that keeps eating people or keeps killing people. It is made of rock. It turns out it's actually benevolent, and there's a mind-meld scene between Spock and this creature, which felt quite similar to the Doctor touching uh, the whatever it's... whatever Erato is called. I can't remember what it's called now. But when, you know, when, when Tom Baker touches Erato and... Uh, and talks to him. And later on, obviously, when he uses the nipple to actually speak to Erato, felt a little bit mind-meldy because Erato speaks in his voice. I don't know. I I wonder if someone's being, you know, inspired by relatively current television. That's definitely a lot of correlation you've just listed there. Right? Yeah. Uh, The creature is a Tythonian. Tythonian. Yes, that's it. Okay. So what else have we got in this era? We have got, well, we've got what is pretending to be a canine. Yes. My very first note is K9 sounds different. My first note is that's not K9. <laughs> <laughs> With a follow up of this new K9 is a smarmy bastard. <laughs> yes. Definitely more vocal, more more verbal and loquacious than regular K9. More personality, I think, in fact. Yeah, possibly. I think again it, it either my perception changed or the writing changed and that's how he was more at the start and then he kind of settled into more ordinary fashioned canine, I guess. That might be the case actually. Yeah, you're right. My my initial thoughts with this. So what we actually have going on is we have a new new voice actor being the voice of canine. Yes, David Brierley. Yes, who is now going to do it for the rest of this 
season and possibly another one. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, so he does have uh, three serials in total. This one, Nightmare of Eden and Horns of Naumon. And then he returns as K-9 in one of the versions of Sharda. Uh, okay. I- I'm assuming he was the original, K- as in he was K-9 in the original recording of Sharda is, is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. And he's also the voice of the computer in that. Fine. But do you know why? Why is John Leeson not here? So... Again, according to Wikipedia, Leeson became frustrated with, like, uh, it's quoted as the limitations of the character, but I'm wondering if it's more about how Canine was written into serials and excluded from serials as well. So, yeah, he basically just got fed up with it all and backed out. And I don't know. Given how wishy-washy they've been with including Canine, it's interesting they decided to carry on with a different voice actor. Maybe they'd already written. Yeah, that's true. And also, in this serial, he gets a lot of screen time. Canine gets yeah. a lot to do. That's like a massive fu to John Leeson. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, you bailed because you didn't have enough screen time? Well, the new guy whom no one likes, he's going to have all the screen time, every <laughs> screen. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can conceive this was them trying to win him back, and he was still like, no, I'm, I'm still not interested. But but does John Leeson come back, though? Right? He does, yes, I think. Because this is, this is my thought. It was, well, we get K-9 later on. There's there's a spin-off thing, which I don't really know anything about, but like K-9 is in New Who, and yeah. sounds a lot like old K-9. And I had, I had just... That is John Leeson, right? Yeah. yeah. I had almost assumed it was someone doing an impression, because I didn't didn't really comprehend the same actor would have been voiced it that far apart but yeah john john leeson comes back for every other iteration of canine which is so awesome by the way i saw him i saw him at the 50th anniversary um at the convention he was there on on stage and in person sounded exactly like canine like they do not (laughs) modulate that voice (laughs) that's just him (laughs) well maybe maybe minor tweaks (laughs) my only real thought was like, it's not doing a very good impression. Like, given you're trying to take over, and it's taking over the voice as well. It's not, this isn't a regeneration where you get to pretend you're the same character, but you're different. This isn't someone being swapped into a, a sitcom and people are pretending that they don't notice that's a different daughter anymore. You know, yeah. this is the same character, the same prop and what have you. You should be trying to hoodwink the audience to not notice. That's this a really good point. Thing like him. No attempt to sound like him. I feel like he tried to make his voice... I mean, he does not do a good job of doing a John Leeson. But I think he was trying to do... I mean, he he was, I'm sure, sounding squeakier than he does in real life. And maybe his intonation was slightly uh, uh, approaching, or shall we say... I mean, I'm a John Leeson guy myself, so I'm going to say encroaching on the John Leeson interpretation of this character. But you're right. I mean, it doesn't sound enough like him and it feels like the BBC should also at some point have stepped in or the director should at some point have stepped in and be like no okay wait everyone take five you know what no take 25 we're gonna (laughs) force feed this guy some John Leeson (laughs) and then just have him listen to reel to reels of old canine episodes yeah I mean it can't can't be that hard or if it's not this guy because maybe he wasn't the best hire (laughs) I don't know someone out there an impressionist must exist in 1979. So I, I was a bit intrigued because 
spitting image was a massive thing in the early mid 80s whatever it turns out it only started in 1984 okay but wait what is spitting image so spitting image was uh, adult puppetry where they would do gross comedy at the expense of politicians and oh right public, oh, okay because um i think it came back i've some, seen this but... yes i know what you mean it's like a muppet show of politicians yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, like there are there are people that did voices on that so chris barry who plays um rimmer and red dwarf he did loads of voices on that he's he's a good impressionist i'd imagine anyone from that list you know probably does a personal impression of whoever they're ridiculing and it's going to be a caricature but you know you could you can see that they've got some talent for mimicry and that so that's that's not that later like impressionism in sense of doing an impression of someone not doing paintings can't have just come into being in 1984 i'm sure it must have existed in other forms before then so in 1979 could they not find someone who could do an impression of johnny's maybe we're being unfair by the way because i mean david briley did a he did a good job in general of just acting of acting (laughs) it's just that his portrayal of canine is it's too obvious to everyone watching and listening that this is not the same canine and and i don't know if this is true for you for me certainly it took me out of it a little bit certainly in the beginning it was just like oh right well now i feel like this is just a character so yeah i don't i don't know if i fully recovered i think the first episode for me was just a write-off from canine's point of view i was just too stuck with the the change and i think another thing that fed into that which i didn't understand through watching but i understand more through the trivia was lada ward's portrayal of romana too seemed quite different to me yeah Yes. With canine as well, seemed quite different. And that kind of unseated everything for a while in my mind. But did um, you also read that this is the. F- oh, sorry. I, go ahead. No, you go ahead. You're about to say. say oh, right. Sorry. I didn't mean to, to steal the trivia from you. Yeah, this was the first Doctor Who serial with Lala Ward that was, as in, in the production order, this was the first one produced. So this is the first time that she's portraying that character. This is the first time that she's acting opposite canine, which makes it weird, by the way. That makes it super weird. Now, I mean, I didn't know that canine was going to be replaced or that John Leeson was going to be replaced sorry so that means that Lola Ward has acted in prior serials was K9 not in her prior serials I think maybe not actually. I guess not no K9 is not in the Dalek one Destiny of the Daleks yeah he's not in Paris yeah you're right yeah, which I guess would explain it yeah. in a way. Yeah, but so this is her first time, and consequently, she's still warming up. You know, she's still limbering up and and fitting into this. Or checking how she can fit into this character. But I think I don't know. It, it struck me that it, it can't be just down to her portrayal because it's the writing as well that seemed off. Yeah, also the directing. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably fair too. Like there are scenes with Romana and Canine where it's that it's that weird companion relationship with Canine we've seen previously, which I guess is yeah, I guess as I'm saying it, maybe it's not that out of the blue. But they turn into a school teacher or they're just like super close to Canine, super like emotional about Canine, like yeah. more so than the doctor is. And yeah, that so that was a bit odd. But yeah, then her her sort of almost kind of snobbish very like, much so yeah as as and graces kind of feel which we had at the start with romana one and it felt like we'd kind of like, moved past that surely she is this is the same character so she should have matured past that yeah so it, it kind of felt felt like a step backwards even for it being the first thing they filmed yeah like certainly a step backwards in the way we're seeing them released but yeah so that that was a bit of a shame as well they kind of we're having to you know we're, we're dialing romana back to to get to where, where she should have been already. Yeah, how did you feel about that scene when she's been kidnapped by the Hagrids? And I quite like the beginning part of that where she's talking her way out of her bonds, so to speak. 
But how did you feel about the part where she's all of a sudden just getting everyone to sit down and she's just lording over, or time lording over everyone? Yeah, I put it in my notes as a smiley face. Like, I, I okay. thought it was entertaining. But it, it is weird. And I think you're you're right that it, it kind of, it wavers around in tone a bit. Like, it's, it's at one point, it's the commanding time lady aspect persona. At other points, it's the snobbery persona and thinking she's better. And then it just turns into a kind of weird comedy mishmash of the two of just like well i've got you at my mercy now i'm just gonna get you all to sit <laughs> yeah and, but yeah it's it's odd i'm not sure how i feel about it yeah i don't know how i feel about it either i think the, the weird thing is though that i enjoyed Romana a lot in this series i think i think she had quite a few um, yeah she it, did definitely it's a bit up and down with how things pan out but because actually shortly after that like she owns that entire situation of her being captured by the bandits and getting out of it to the point where she hands hands around the whistle and they're all just she tells them to blow on it they blow on it in different ways and finally one of them blows on it so that she hears not that we hear anything not that they hear anything so she's kind of orchestrated her own escape and got them to make it happen but then it, she's that, also really dumb in some scenes I mean, when she picks up, I mean, the character of Romana is really dumb in some scenes. When she when she picks up canine inside the um, inside the palace or whatever, the Adastra's gaff, Adrasta's gaff, even, uh, and she's wielding canine like a laser rifle and just sort of, yeah, no, this is my grand escape. I'm gonna blast one guard and then fire around into the ceiling and then obviously I'm gonna get captured. Like, you didn't think this through. You're a super clever person. Where's the person that just manipulates? the Hagrids, try to manipulate your way out of this situation as well. At the very least, try and fail. Yeah. But there was never an attempt, an intellectual attempt at escape. There was just that one laser rifle scene, and it just, it, it also seemed uncharacteristic of Romana. Yeah. I think the whole thing in general of, of how important canine was as a weapon yeah. was quite uncharacteristic of, of everyone. <laughs> I mean, the people on this planet certainly... Adrasta and her her peeps. They really don't have their priorities straight. Metal is the most precious thing. Here's an alien robot dog. Melt him down. No. Well, he 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 knows everything. Oh great, he can take us to more metal. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry. I, I don't want to get into a rant about that, but no, because you should, because then it leads on to the next thing, which is where they they know what the TARDIS is, and it's still well, the TARDIS can take us back in time, and we'll get the metal we've already got again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, think big, guys. Think big. I maintain that this is just one little island on this planet. I mean, they refer to it as a planet, and Adrasta obviously knows that there's life on other planets as well, because she captured Erato or threw Erato into the piss or whatever, but there is no way that they know, unless this is like the Rick and Morty tiny planet where you can walk around the whole planet in, you know, two minutes, then there is no way that Adrasta has control over everything. So there must be, the rest of this planet must be teeming with life. There must be so much stuff going on there. See, I found it interesting that they tried to address this at one point, because Organon claims he's traveled. Like, he's been around, baby. Oh, that's true, yeah. And because I can't remember what the doctor says. Oh, I think the doctor's basically saying, you know, do you know for certain this is the only one of this creature on the, on your planet? And Organon's like, yeah, man, I've traveled. I've seen shit. You wouldn't believe it. And yeah, but what did he do? I, I mean, they, they don't have horses. They don't have carts. Uh, exactly. I, uh, have they even invented the wheel? Oh, wait, yeah, they have invented the wheel. 
what does he do? Does he does he sit on a sleigh and then he or on a sled and then he has like twelve wolf weeds in front of him? He's just like kapow kapow. Come on. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> They're strong little buggers. Like, they really are. are. I like them, by the way. They are a cool concept. I quite like them, actually. I felt like they were a bit underused. And But then the huntsman that's in control of them, who's been silent throughout three episodes, suddenly becomes the most important character <laughs> yeah. on the planet. <laughs> the, the, enti- the fate of the entire planet, of the monarchy, rests on this man's shoulders. <laughs> I didn't see that coming, I must say. <laughs> no, nor I. But I do like the wolf weeds as a concept. The, it, I mean, they're, they're plants. They are sentient plants. So once again, we have... This is like Seeds of Doom. Just like it's the brilliant. crinoids, we, we get once again. And the trap canine, which doesn't... Yeah. It, that was kind of creepy. Yeah. They, uh, I hadn't thought of it at the time, but they strangely remind me of what I'm learning now of Zeroid from Jerry Anderson's Terror Hawks, if you've ever watched that. I've never watched that. Which one is Terror Hawks? Terror Hawks. I don't know. I think it's uh, a poor man's... So uh, is it him sp- uh, ripping off Thunderbirds again? Thunderbirds. <laughs> I think <laughs> a little bit. There's like a an elite space force team that's at war with some. There's there's some evil villain, and she's always trying to do bad things. Okay. And she she has square robots, and the good guys have round robots or something. Right. Okay. Yeah. The, the way that the round robots would kind of roll around felt a little bit like that with the wolf weeds. Anyway, that sounds pretty cool. I mean, it does sound like almost every Jerry Anderson show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm on board. Did you like in the beginning when the wolfweeds make their first appearance uh, as the doctor is listening to slash scanning the uh, the eggshell and we get to see these giant green balls just rolling towards him and then standing still and then rolling yeah. towards him and standing still again and he doesn't know like how does he not notice? <laughs> he d- well, I feel like he does, but he just doesn't react to it for some reason. I don't know. I feel like he looks at them have- and like, oh, that's that's weird. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll I never mind. <laughs> Did you ever play games like that as a kid? We we had one that was called What's the Time, Mr. Wolf, I think. Um, and you would basically, one person would be stood at the end of the playground and everyone would kind of move towards you and then they'd turn around. And, oh, and you have uh, to stand still. Yeah. Yes, did play that. I don't remember what it was called uh, in my school, but yeah, I remember that. I don't even know if it's called What's the Time, Mr. Wolf. But, you know, some kind of like playground game. No, it's What's the time, Mr. Wolf? Is that what you're saying? What's the time, Mr. Wolf? Yeah. Oh, Mr. Wolf. Yeah. Ah, and Wolfweeds. Maybe that's just what it's called in this country. It is a badass name. I never understood it, but I guess they're weeds and a bit like wolves. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, unless it's a reference to this uh, playground game. It's possible. I don't know. Yeah. I'm learning how bad my memory is, and I might just be misremembering the name of the game with a different one. Maybe this game is just one of those quintessential human things, you know, just behaviorally. If you put kids anywhere, anywhere in the world, on a playground, they will just automatically, instinctively develop this game. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's possibly true. I also feel like it's not really mimicking anything in nature. A little bit. I I can kind of picture a big cat stalking something, and they nearly just freeze. (laughs) <laughs> Did the gazelle see me? No, I don't think so. Okay, I'm gonna move again. Ah, oh, shit. No, always oh, looking again. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about the humor in this one? Because there is a quite a bit of humor. There's slapstick. There are just outright jokes in it. Much of the dialogue is quite funny, but it's quite witty. I think for the most part, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think. I think there's definitely an entertainment level to this, which I, I can respect. I think I'm generally an all-or-nothing kind of guy with, with regards to comedy and 
Doctor Who. And this wasn't quite all enough to be just a comedy serial. Like, I, f- I forgot what he was called. Was it Duggan in City of Death? Was just uh, oh, yeah. an abs- absolute maniac comic relief character. Yeah, that was just Douglas Adams having a laugh. Yeah, it was wonderful because of that, because it was just balls in, right, this is what is going on with this guy, take it or leave it. Whereas, yeah, this this serial, you've got things that seem comedic that shouldn't be with, like, giant green penises. It's too big even for you. I mean, even the wolf weeds, the way they attack you know, is a little bit... Yeah, hard. okay. It's hard to feel... I that. never took them to be a parody of anything, though. I took them quite seriously. Yeah? Okay. But the Hagrids, I mean, they're just pure comedy. Not but necessarily again, good comedy, but, I mean, they're not there as a serious element to this serial. But I think in occasions it felt like maybe they were meant to be, because they, they're overhearing... Uh, they have the, the proton drive that the Doctor's got, and one of them who isn't the lead guy, some other Hagrid... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like convinced that that's a really important thing and they should get that and then they can do amazing things with it. Like, they're not just straight up comedy all the time. Like, they're part of the plot on occasion. And yeah, I don't know. Okay, yeah, fair. All right, fine. But okay, then the Doctor, there are so many bullet points in my list of notes here of just pure Doctor comedy. When he jumped into the pit, I mean, this is probably the biggest comedy moment. He jumps into the pit, he's trying to figure out how to hammer this thing into the wall. Yeah. Picks out a book. Oh, it's in Tibetan. Oh, picks out another book. Tibetan for dummies or whatever it is. You know, teach yourself Tibetan. Yeah. And he's like, what? <laughs> That's just so silly. And... I don't know. How how do you... Okay, seriously, that one scene, how do you feel about that? Because that stands out from the rest of this serial as a super silly moment. I think I like that, actually. (laughs) I'm so glad to hear you say that. (laughs) I think think it's nice that it was right at the start of that episode. Yeah. If it it just cropped up in the middle of it somewhere and broke up the pacing, then it might have been a bit flat. But yeah, I think think it worked quite well. Particularly as... um, I don't know, maybe... Maybe we can segue into cliffhangers, but oh, okay. Like, the first episode ends with him jumping into the pit, but he's given Romana a little um, finger on nose, like uh, you you watch what I'm about to do. Is yeah, it's gonna be super interesting. He doesn't give her much time. He doesn't, but you know, I mean, it, it's the Doctor for a start. It's your main character. He hasn't just gone and killed himself. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he's doing something cool. And, you know, I like that as a cliffhanger. That, that's the kind of like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? Agreed. It's, yeah. It's not a, oh, my God, how are they going to poorly write themselves out of this one? No, it's <laughs> fantastic. It's, it's a cliffhanger preceding a literal cliffhanger because then at the start of episode two, he's just hanging off the sides. Yeah, the setup for that is good because of the cliffhanger and um, I think the comedy works. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, since we've done one cliffhanger, should we do them all? Yeah. Episode two. I've written, just walks up to the dick and balls. <laughs> well, mine says, Doc says hello to the giant creature, but what it really wants is a hug. <laughs> 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 this okay. is possibly the weirdest way out of it. Because again, I didn't mind that as a, a cliffhanger. I thought that worked quite well because I don't know if anyone was really worried for the Doctor at this point because because you've had the whole scene where he's trying to communicate and you feel like this isn't actually, you know, this is a misunderstood creature. It's probably not suffocating him. It just doesn't know how squishy humans are. <laughs> or, or Time Lords even. So I, I, don't, I didn't feel like there was worry there. It was just intrigue as, as to what's going to happen next again. It's such a weird scene though. He starts to crush him and then shortly thereafter, in part three, as we see the continuation of this scene, the creature just strips splooges a metal wall around the place. And that's what I was... 
I'm kind of leaning to it. It's just the, the resolution of it is just I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Like this whole this whole shell business we'll we'll have to come back to. Yeah, yeah. Let's put a pin in that. Definitely. Um, but definitely, yeah, definitely that scene of projecting the shell, and then the creature just seems to disappear entirely from what felt like its lair, and like the Doctor was sort of trapped, and then this gigantic creature just has disappeared. Yeah, this is going back to something that you said. I can't remember which serial this was in, but to quote you, it's like someone's misplaced a bear and they just haven't looked in the bathroom. <laughs> this thing is enormous. Where is it? You would never ever go like, all right, cool. So, um, giant dick and balls. And how do you propose to do this, Yankee Doctor? Uh, why don't you swing by the castle at, let's say, four o'clock and we'll have a conversation. You know, that'll be great. We'll serve some chlorophyll. Uh, it'll, it'll be wonderful. You would constantly be in attendance. Like, there is no way, once you have established contact with a gigantic phallus... It's huge. ...attached to an even greater scrotum that you would not always, always be in attendance. <laughs> True. Anyway, part three, cliffhanger. Part three, cliffhanger. Oh, what is that one? I've got my oh. note in front of me. Ah, oh, this, yeah, this one's shit. <laughs> oh, really? What have you written? Well, this is the bandits bringing in the sparkly shield. He gets put onto the creature, and Lady Astrid is standing around screaming no. Right. My note is, Dick and Balls is reunited with Nipple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really weird. Wait, why is she screaming? Oh, it's just like, oh no, he's going to be able to talk to us. <laughs> yeah. It's like... I mean, everyone should be just generally screaming because there's this giant green dick and balls and other green sludge attached to it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Everyone should be running for the hills constantly. Um, but hey, hey, this is where we are. <laughs> But yeah, it's just it's just very ill-placed screaming. It just seems... It seems oh. a little Italian Spider-Man. <laughs> Have you seen Italian Spider-Man? I'll send no. you a link after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're but, right. Because yeah, episode four starts and there's, there's no screaming, there's no threat, the bandits are not hypnotized anymore, and Doc starts communicating with the creature pretty much. And it's just like, oh, okay, yay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we learned that the Erato is an ambassador of the planet Tythonus. This, by the way, is the planet Chloris, rich in chlorophyll. Once again, oh. we have that lovely Doctor Who naming convention of, oh, what are we going to name this? I don't know, where is it and what's the weather like? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't even pick up that. I, d I didn't really note down the name of the planet until I, I looked on Wikipedia afterwards, so I didn't connect it whilst watching, but I have read it afterwards and still didn't connect it. Well, um, I like that Douglas <laughs> Adams apparently behind the scenes went no, 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 we can't call the princess Adastra because that means to the stars. Rename her Adrastra. But, no, 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 it's fine. Leave the planet as planet Chloris. <laughs> These people don't know what chlorophyll is, but still, they would call their planet Chloris. Oh, by the way, they don't know what a planet is. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're very accepting of otherworldly things. Like, Adrasta you can probably make exceptions for because she's actually met and knows this creature came from outside their planet. That's true. And Binro Mark II as well, because Binro Mark II believes in life in other worlds. And he seems to... He, I mean, he he's a, a man that constantly gazes up uh, at the stars, so he knows how the world works, more or less. Yeah, but he also believes in astrology. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it works for him. <laughs> Does uh, it? 
He's like, oh, I, I see some something tall, dark, <laughs> and handsome. But then, I don't know, I wasn't quite sure what they were trying to say about astrology in that. Because, yes, a lot of the things he is predicting actually have happened or do happen in front of our eyes. But then he is shown to basically over... Well, was it? The Huntsman, Huntsman is reading out what's being left to him by Arato. And Organon overhears him talking to himself and then uses that as a way of saying, oh, yes, I knew... Oh, yeah. Star. It was written, you know, and that's that's our end scene is him basically being a fraud. <laughs> that's I so hate, true. I hate that's the end scene. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> I love that. Up until that point, he has effectively, he's proven that his soothsaying has been 100% accurate. Every prediction that he has about the doctor turns out to be true. And when he sees something tall and dark, doctor adds and handsome appearing, the TARDIS appears, which is tall and I I guess kind of darkish. There's the, I think something terrible is about to happen. And then boom, (laughs) he's bludgeoned. His stuff works, man. But you're so right. At the end, we're told that he is nothing but a charlatan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I don't mind that that scene exists. I just hate that it's the last scene. Yeah, and they leave very abruptly. I mean, they don't even say goodbye to anyone, really, do they? I think they might throw a goodbye. I'm not quite sure. Like, the fact that they come back, I was quite impressed with. Because they... they you're right. ...into space with Arato. Yeah. ...to enact the plan to save the planet by wrapping the neutron star in aluminium and <laughs> pulling it with gravity, tractor beam, and all Yes, I wrote that down. A tractor beam. Yeah, no, a gravity tractor beam. <laughs> a gravity tractor beam, fine. But it is Trademark nonetheless... <laughs> Sorry? Trademark not infringed. <laughs> oh, of course not. Of course not. No, no. They're definitely not inspired by other science fiction TV shows of the time. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, after all that in space, they come back and they, they deliver a draft contract from Arato. <laughs> I guess they say goodbye. I, I wait, wait, know. wait. How did Arato write that contract? <laughs> <laughs> you know how. <laughs> Two of the pincers hold the scroll and the dick in the middle just <laughs> applies a signature. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Come on, one of us had to use this joke at some point. Let's just say he's a clever dick. <laughs> <laughs> So how come the Hagrids get hypnotized when they hold the nipple? No fucking clue. Right, okay, check. <laughs> <laughs> the whole throwing, Adrasta's throwing people into the pit gambit. Mm-hmm. Like, A, it's a bloody long picture. Yeah, like, hey Why? Why do we care that there's a creature in there? Like, don't they all just die on impact? You'd think so. In fact, one of them does die on impact that we see. When the doctor I... falls down, but he only falls down halfway because he's climbed down yeah. a little bit, he sees someone there, and it's one of the engineers. I can't remember the name of the engineers, but he sees one of the engineers, and the engineer is just straight up dead, and Erato hasn't been there yet. Yeah, so I remember thinking thinking that, and then I guess maybe it does make sense in his, in his own way, but we learn that Erato doesn't eat humans, so I don't know. Yeah. Is it, it's just Adrasta's myth, I suppose, like she's throwing people to the creature but yeah it's a bloody big pit you hear the people screaming for multiple seconds you know it's a bloody big pit why are people Hmm. scared of the creature just be scared of the bloody big pit because you hear the growling this is an amalgamation of two different scripts one about an ambassador that gets trapped in a mine and one about someone who just throws people into a hole (laughs) 
Mm. But then again, maybe you can remind me of what actually happens here. But my very first note of part four is Jesus, Erato just came Adrasta to death. Well, this is, yeah, when everyone's turned on Adrasta. Yeah, the, how does she die? Doesn't. The wolf weeds are set on her. Oh. And, and Eratu goes after her. But then, yeah, at the start of episode four, we just see Eratu backing away. Having eaten the wolf weeds. Having eaten the wolf weeds. And she is covered in cobwebs. Think, but not, right. not as much as canine was. Yes, yeah. I assume that was just cum. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you'll permit a topic change. Of course. Production value. How do you feel about the production value of this serial? You know what? I didn't think too much about it watching it. I reckon it's probably on the medium to high side. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think it can be divided into... Well, sorry, I think it can be subdivided into different categories. I think we have a pretty decent forest slash jungle. It's not as good as... I can't remember what that one serial was. It was Face of Evil, maybe, where we had a fantastic jungle. But um, yeah. it's still decent, right? It's an okay forest. The creature itself, even though it looks like a gigantic dick and balls. Huge. It's well constructed. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think the effects to make it look bigger. Yeah. You know, it's, um, that green screen, when it's sort of from afar, that that's spectacular. That's almost cinematic. That Just the scope of that cavern is quite impressive, I think. Yeah. Uh, what else have we got? We've got... The caves. Caves, which... I, I didn't actually massively mind. Like, we get a lot of labyrinth and mines and all these kind of things in Doctor Who, but yeah, I, would, I didn't really mind it this time around. Yeah, I, th- I think it's okay. The throne room is maybe not the most inspiring. Yeah. Likewise, the bandit thing. I, oh, I yeah, the tent. Yeah, I didn't feel like that was a tent, really. I don't know. It felt, felt too much like a... I'm inside a real building here with some shit thrown against the wall. Yeah, let's put a pin in that for when we've wrapped up production value because I really want to ask you about that as well. Okay. Got a, a snazzy visual effect with the the whole gravity tractor being... Yes, that's true. That was very cool. The TARDIS in materializing in space, which I was actually surprised to see because like, we're very used to it in New Who, but probably don't see it very often in classics. Yeah, that's right. That's very right. And I think in the very beginning of part one, we get to see the TARDIS sort of spinning through space as well. Yeah. Which is nicely done. The neutron star looks very cool. Uh, the butt plug while it's in space looks cool. However, the butt plug lifting off, which we only get to see on the screen, um, or on yeah. the, uh, you know, well, whatever, the monitor. That looks pretty naff. That looked very cheap. <laughs> that was fishing rod levels, wasn't it? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Fishing rod levels. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Costumes were great, I thought. Yeah. I mean, the Hagrids look Hagrid. The princesses, soldiers all look like Mortal Kombat dudes. The the princess <laughs> has that, like, funky makeup, which is sort of like metal, as though she's, like, painting metal onto herself. The old crone looks like an old crone. Yeah. <laughs> and Romana's outfit is pretty damn badass as well. Yes, it is. You're right. Apparently, she did not like it. Lola oh, Ward yeah. did not like it. Yeah. One of the bits of trivia I found on Todd's Wiki, uh, reading that out loud here. Uh, Lala Ward disliked how her dress echoed that worn by Mary Tam in the Reboss operation Mm-mm. and uh, felt that the story was tailored for that incarnation. Interesting. Yeah. Because I, I, I didn't like dwell on it too much in my thoughts, but I did make that connection. Because mm. um, it's guess sort it's- of white and silky. Yeah, it's it's white and flowing, and but I think I think there was a different feel to it. Like Romana One's outfit definitely felt more upper class 
Definitely, was, yeah. It was a uh, whereas I don't know this one didn't feel quite so much that it obviously is like a peasant in the streets is not going to wear that outfit. But, uh... <laughs> oh, a peasant in the streets! Uh, all listeners outside of the UK, this is what people in the UK talk like. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Don't you know, Jim, I was wandering home today, about to record this podcast review, and I encountered a peasant on the street. <laughs> Another one. Oh, dear, they're like everywhere these days. There are just <laughs> clusters of peasants out there. <laughs> Apologies, I'm not meaning to... No, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to call you out in any way. I apologise, I didn't mean that like that at all, I promise. Trying to think if there are any other standout costumes. I actually quite like the Huntsman's getup. What's what's that kind of? Uh, ooh, there's, there's a word for that that top he has, which like leather, but it's um, padded. Is it just? It's not just padded leather. It's, oh, I don't know. Some... But if you find the name, then let me know because I need that outfit <laughs> and the whip. And the, I I got that. <laughs> <laughs> I think in some ways that was maybe why I was glad that, like, I was glad that that character stepped forward and had more of a role. Like, it was kind of, it was kind of a cool character to have in the background. It was almost like a, a Boba Fett type thing for a while. Yes. It's not doing anything, but commanding, like, and in charge of the, the wolf weeds, which are powerful. And yeah, it had, he had a presence. And then, yeah, suddenly he becomes the most important person on the planet. <laughs> yeah, agreed. That's such a good comparison, by the way. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. It's, I mean, it's not just that character. That There are almost no characters. I was going to say, like, no character is left unturned. You know, <laughs> even the old crone, even uh, Golden Girl, up until the point where she suddenly has her little B-plot in part three, part four, whichever one it is, part four, four. I guess. Oh. Part four is where she basically has stuff to do. Likewise, the bandits. Yeah, exactly. And like up until that point, she's just been uh, like set dressing. She's done nothing. She's had no lines, as far as I recall. She's just standing next to Adrastra. And then all of a sudden, oh, wait, hang on. There's a B plot. I really like how this episode is structured, in fact, because there's, there's sort of at the three quarters point of the serial that we think, all right, cool. Standard Doctor Who serial conclusion. The Doctor has saved the day. Now there's peace between these two races. Everything's great. But then, oh, wait, hang on. Maybe Erato isn't super goody-goody. Or maybe there is a different thing with the Thino... Whatever they were called. The uh, blob dick people. Or Thinonian. Thinonians. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, and, oh, wait, hang on. This little old lady, it turns out she she's hired to act. She's been hired to act. Like, there's, <laughs> there's tons of shit happening, you know. She's a good actress as well. Actually. She's great, yeah. Those couple of scenes at the end where the doctor's like, do you want to condemn me to death or do you want to be rich? I want to be rich, you fucker. <laughs> <laughs> quote, direct quote. <laughs> I actually, I, sorry, if, if you want to come back and... No, go for it. I actually quite like the portrayal of villains in this. Bandits aside, but Adrasta, she's just straight up evil in a lot of places. Oh, which... yeah. Thumbs up in my book. Um, like she's obviously throwing people into the pit willy nilly. Like the engineers. Like she's got a Darth Vader esque kind of you know the, the the general kind of thing where you're you're questioning why do people go and work for this person? Like, like <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, go and work for anyone else being the bandits because there's no one else on this planet. <laughs> You know, generally when you're watching a Bond film or, or some other thing where there's a really kind of straight up villain, you're just like, why did the henchman get that job? Like, <laughs> at some yeah, point, it's because you know, Spectre slash Quantum has a kick-ass dental plan. Like, there's 
What? Yeah, you're right. It's usually. When you've seen the third person on your pay grade just thrown into a pit, do you not just go, hmm, maybe there's a different direction my life could take? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the engineers are still hanging around. It's like, oh dear. But yeah, I, I like that she's, she's just super, super evil. And, um,. Like she's on the ball as well. She there's a scene where Romana tries to like I think the doc kind of motions to Romana and Romana kind of sneaks around and without even like moving her head or like gesturing in the slightest, Lady Astra is just like nope, guard sees her. Yeah, uh, and it's just awesome. And I think she does another thing with with Binro. Is it Binro? And, and yeah, it's like, why would like, I do that? It's like because the guard behind you or something. You know? <laughs> yes, exactly. Like ready to slit your throat. I think yeah. is what she says. This is a seriously brutal serial, by the way. I mean, there are plenty of death threats. There are at least three people who get murdered on screen. Like, two or three people get cast into the pit. One person gets stabbed, like, straight-up stabbed by the Hagrids. True. Uh, one of the Hagrids gets Hagrid, stabbed yeah. in the back by yeah. a golden girl. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of off-screen deaths. Also, like when the bandits are getting rid of all the guards, Adrastra gets cummed to death. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I think maybe that's another reason why the comedy falls. Like, I don't mind mixing comedy with with drama, definitely, but I feel like there are levels, and when it's just like super, super slapstick and just ridiculous two two D characters, yeah, to then throw in, yeah, just like straight up stabbing people, and it not being like a black comedy, like it's just I don't know, too, a little bit too much to take. Yeah, suddenly it's mega dark and very serious. Yeah, but definitely plus points for those things. Definitely, yes. I think that adds... A bit of a mixed bag when you throw it all in at once. Yeah, maybe tonally it's just a little confused, this serial. But it is... All that stuff adds a level of substance that you don't normally find in classic Doctor Who. True. You know what? The more I drink my beer... (laughs) The more you like it? The more I'm warming to this. Yes! Yes, (laughs) score. Come to my side, dude. (laughs) I think I'm discovering... I'm discovering the heart that's in there. Like, it's... It's still a bit of a scruffy puppy who has been rolling around in the mud all day, but you can't help maybe to love it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I put a pin in something before. Yeah. Which was the, um, it was the scene where suddenly the golden, I think this is what I put a pin in. Anyway, it was the tent. It's, it's the, the yeah, Hagrid you put, tent. You put a pin in the tent. Yes, you did. And specifically what I'm thinking is not only do the Hagrids show up in their tent, the Doc just shows up willy-nilly, a Golden Girl shows up willy-nilly, K-9 shows up, not willy-nilly, because K-9 is, I guess, summoned by the whistle. But another thing to corroborate this theory that on this planet, as far as these characters are aware, there's really only the castle, which we never get to see from the outside, so there's really only the throne room. (laughs) (laughs) the pit and this tent that's it because how else i mean are the hagrids just going like oh we'll we'll hide these things in the last place they'll ever look the only other place <laughs> there is a scene of them walking like in the jungly bit somehow but yeah it must it must just be True. someone put up a dead handy signpost bandits this way addressed that way <laughs> <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> and the rest of it is just a, a gold path. <laughs> yeah, that path is just the dogging area that connects these two camps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty poor. <laughs> 
Okay, so while you were uh, kind of on the fence and maybe hopefully drinking your way to loving this cereal, would you like to hear a few... I didn't write down these soundbite timestamps, but here are a few doctor quotes that may sway you to love this cereal even more. Okay, hit me. If I were you, I'd introduce her to geraniums before it's too late. That's in re- that's the doctor in reference to whomever trained the wolf weeds. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, after the old I have an itch on my nose trick, the doctor knocking out the two d- guards and then James Bond-esque going, the yolk's on him. I missed that entirely. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Oh, and how about this scene in which I feel possibly Drew is present on screen? There's the bit in part three where there's a countdown. <laughs> it's uh, Adrastra who goes, six seconds, Romana, or the doctor dies, and then we pan across the mine. This is mm. as the Hagrids are carrying the nipple to the Dickenballs. We pan across the, the mine, and we get to see, just in pan, uh, Binro Mark II, like, literally counting the seconds on his hand. <laughs> oh, I did notice that, yeah. Like... <laughs> it's so good. And I feel like that's not Binro Mark II anymore. That is Drew in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> Six seconds. Who picks six seconds? <laughs> six seconds! That's the most arbitrary <laughs> countdown. <laughs> like, in some ways, I really like it that it's just very random. But who picks six seconds? Who in their right mind? <laughs> no one. <laughs> and this really touches upon the heart of the matter. This is why we do not sympathize with Princess Adrastra. <laughs> Sorry, I keep saying Princess Adrastra. I've just looked at my notes. She is either Lady Adrastra or Queen Adrastra. I had Lady down. Lady. Okay, I take it back then. I'm I'm sorry. I've been saying princess this whole time. How does... Maybe she is a queen. I don't know. Like, it's not very clear who... Yeah, the politics of this society, they're very iffy. She basically just is a dictator, so yeah, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you thought that the politics of the androids of Tara <laughs> were a little muddy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's gonna be muddy when there are duplicates around. <laughs> yeah, true. But like, oh, hey, um, I'm the Lord, but I have five minutes to have someone else stumble into the room and say, no, I'm the Lord. And now he's going to be a duke. But uh, yeah, like... <laughs> Exactly. I have made a note of a few inconsistencies as well, unfortunately. I must confess. Okay, pray tell. Okay, Binro Mark II makes a reference to gunpowder. So oh. why do they all use swords? Yeah. No, I, I think I kind of registered that. Does he mention dynamite as well? I think so, yeah. In the what mines. He definitely uses the word gunpowder. Yeah. I think you're right, though. I think he to- I think it might be the same scene when they're trying to get through the eggshell. Yeah. We don't see any kind of projectile weapon or explosives. Oh, no, sorry. There is a projectile weapon, but it, there's no combustion in there. there it doesn't use gunpowder. There's the... Uh, crossbow. Crossbow. Thank you. That's the word. Yes, they. So, in fact, that's the preceding scene, isn't it? They they've just tried to shoot the creature, failed to do anything, and they back. For some reason they back away, not where they've come from, where presumably their lady Adraster is, because they were like the leading party. They leg it to the next room and hide with Binro. Yeah, yeah I think so. I didn't quite understand that. It was so so they could get separated somehow. But then they're not separated because everyone manages to come around to that particular side of it anyway. <laughs> At the same time. 
Yeah. yeah. That's a very good point. There's only one bit of eggshell that is projected to block up that hole. Uh-huh. The guards have come round that entranceway from the other side by going through the, the way from Adrasta's throne room or whatever. So why can't they just go back into the lair from that way? Oh, wait, hang on. Back into whose lair? So the, the big room that the creature's in that has the Doctor trapped. Yeah. They're in there. They get cast out. There's like a force explosion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like a force push. But they they move away from the way they came in. It's I'm sure it's shown. Oh. They're kind of like, say they're in the north part of that room. They yeah. skirt on the, the wall and go out in the west where yeah. Bin was. Yeah. That's I'm where they get, they get blocked in. And we only see one thing blocking them in. So why can't they go? Because Ben... Why can't they go around to the north again, you mean, from the outside? Because Adrastor and Co. end up in this West Passage. Yeah. So everyone can get from the West Passage to the North Passage. Okay, so this probably logistically makes very little sense to 99% of our listeners, but I don't care because <laughs> I am 100% with you, buddy. Uh, I think what's happening is that this giant cavern is right smack in the middle. That's where the Dick and Balls is residing and where the Doctor is at this point. So the Dick and Balls force pushes everyone out. They happen to be cast out to the west, to the left on the screen. Yeah. But you're right, there's also an entrance at the top, quote, north, but it's splooging metal in all directions, so every entrance is probably blocked. Okay. And from the outside, you're right, they could probably go around to the north side of it, but they don't. You're right, they should. (laughs) They should try it. Should do. They shouldn't just assume it's been blocked as well. Yeah, but most likely it has been blocked. I I would buy that it has been. I just don't remember seeing any evidence that it had. It really, in fact, I kind of felt like from the doctor's side, it looked like there was just a tiny doorway shaped shell. Yeah, you're, yes, you're right. That entrance. It didn't, it wasn't like the entire cavern suddenly turned into one giant egg splooge. Yeah. So hang on, the eggshell on the surface that they encounter in the very first scene, yeah. effectively on the planet, which is the thing that it's co- sent out the distress call that the doctor listens to with a stethoscope and goes, it's crying out for help. That eggshell and the metal shell that surrounds the butt plug that then surrounds the neutron star and the bits of eggshell that are made out of metal inside the mine and that weird door that they try to blast through or th- that they can't blast through but that Bin Romark 2 suggests they use gunpowder even though they haven't invented gunpowder to get through. Yeah. Are they all made of metal or are they made of, like, are they like eggshells? As in, is it just, you know, what's an eggshell made of? Like calcium? Like, is, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, this is this is the beef I have with this particular... Because the Doctor just, like, walks technology. through it. Yeah, A, yeah, the Doctor just walked through it. He goes head first through that. <laughs> yeah, but then maybe you could argue that K9 goes, hey, I loosened that for you, buddy. Well, I wondered if you would make the very good point that, you know, eggshells are designed to be broken from the inside out for a start. But also, yeah. you know, they're, they're not that strong. That's a good, certain, good point. Very good point. Certain directions. But yeah, no one mentions that. No one mentions that it should be protective from the outside, but not, not necessarily from the inside. But there's, yeah, there's always this focus on the fact that it's metal. But if it's metal, why the hell would you make the comparison and the assumption that it's an eggshell. Yeah, exactly. When the Doctor first encounters it, before he knows that something was housed inside of it, why wouldn't he go, this isn't a ruin, this is made of steel, or something like that? Yeah. 
Presumably there is something about it. I, just, I don't think it was conveyed well enough. Like the whole fact that it was vibrating and that it's apparently communicating. And, I don't know. And then one bit of it can be the drive for the spaceship, but it's still the shell. I don't know. It was just... You know what? I, I think whatever it's made of, actually eggshell is just dumb. This thing, Erato wasn't born in that egg. Like it didn't hatch. That egg, the, the, the court egg, the thing that they see on the surface, that's like its spaceship. Yeah. That's how it arrived. The Doctor doesn't walk into a spaceship and go, hmm, that's a cool egg you got there. Like, no, <laughs> that's a fucking spaceship, buddy. Eratu can create this stuff. Like, if anything, it's like a, a spider web, which we already have basically happening with the, the wolf weeds. Yeah, true. Or it's some kind of liquid metal thing, like, I don't know, in Terminator 2, or I don't know if you've seen Flight of the Navigator, where the ship just kind of, like, restructures itself. Oh, yeah. And, nice. Like, it, it's something of that kind of science fiction. It's not biological egg thing. There's a moment, or rather, moments before that realization, the Doctor is stumbling around the mines, this is in part three, he stumbles around the mines and he picks up and pockets a chunk of cadmium and a chunk of iron. Like, just pure iron. Mm. And he goes, hmm, I wonder where this came from. Oh, yeah, well, Doc, obviously it's either calm or shit, right? But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> This now leads me to believe that this is just something that the creature secretes. Like, as it's walking around, it's just secreting steel. So you already have, by the way, like, you already have a symbiotic relationship between the creature and this civilization. They should move every, like, these two civilizations should just live together on one planet. Because one just has tons of plants and waters them, and the other one just shits iron. Which the first go, oh, cool, money. Yeah. Yeah. But that is metal. Those two chunks are cadmium and iron. There's never like, oh, cool, what is this? Is this calcium? Is this like brittle eggshell? No. No, it's iron. Yeah. Like, I, I would get it if it was some material we've never heard of, but it was a metal-like. Or, like, we could we could basically put it into our table of elements as a metal. Yeah. But we we don't have it. But, yeah, yeah true. it's all stuff that we have. And it just, yeah, it never comes across as explained as, the, as really the right thing. Just a weird, it's a weird analogy and a weird thing that we're meant to accept. There's just, yeah, no, absolutely, 100%, got to be an egg. Like, I'm with Romana throughout most of his serial. It's like, why the fuck do you think this is an egg, Doctor? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> the other interesting thing that just popped into my head, based on what you were saying, yeah. is the Tythonian reaction. Had to pause to look up the, uh, the name there. Tythonian oh, yes. So, yes... Adrasta has been a dick. Not quite sure how she managed to get the creature into the pit where the creature couldn't get out of the pit. But anyway, she's managed to make that happen. Sends out a distress signal. Their reaction is destroy the fucking planet with a neutron star. Not, you know what, let's go invade the planet. Because like you say, like this would be the perfect place for them. It's also not, hmm, maybe Erato's phone is broken. Maybe let's just send another delegation. <laughs> This time, let's send two of them and some guards, you know, or something. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Bring an extra nipple while you're at it. That's true. And also, there's a point where Erato mentions, or maybe, sorry, maybe it's not Erato, maybe it's the Doctor or K-9, in fact, who, who mentions that the Tythonians live for tens of thousands of years. 
Like Erato is 50,000 years old or something. So the, the very few years that Erato has been down in the pit amounts to nothing. That's like the blink of an eye to a Tythonian. Yeah. So that means that the reaction from Tythonus came super quickly. It's just like, hmm, uh, we should have heard back by 12. It is now 12.01. Mm, blow up the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Like no, I I think there is a warranted like escalation because I th- what I th- no I think there is a line where <laughs> Ar- Arato says that he sent a transmission that said like I went to meet with them they imprisoned me in a pit <laughs> you know like that oh I, I see yeah that message got out but yeah it's not like a oh okay we'll come rescue you <laughs> it's, it's like a, yeah you're you're oh, dead to us now Arato you're doomed okay <laughs> yeah. fine we'll, we'll blow up your prison Arato has confessed that he and Himself is not even middle management. Erato is an <laughs> errand boy that is, according to the Tythonians, highly expendable. Yeah, it's like, actually, we're more upset that we're going to lose another nipple. <laughs> yeah, and They're by the way, super- this planet teeming with what we would call a food, but we'll blow it up. We would rather starve to death than go there and try to pick a couple of flowers. Yeah. The Tythonians deserve to starve to death, by the way. that is, <laughs> They are dar- um, Darwin Award coming your way, buddy. <laughs> Sorry, that's a horrible thing to say, but you know, yeah. Wait, am I apologizing to all the Tythonians in our audience? Oh, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I got another question. You just highlighted something that may or may not be a plot hole to me. Okay. You know, in part four, Erato shows up at the doorstep of the uh, of the throne room, palace, whatever. Yeah, just just shoves shoves his nip right through. Yeah. yeah. How does he get there? Um, they've somehow got him out of the pit. They're very. Oh, unclear. they have. Okay. Yeah, unclear of how that maneuver has taken place. <laughs> Uh, conveniently okay can you and i just super quickly just improvise parts uh, 3.5 of this serial where erato is out of the pit for the first time in his life and is finally exploring the planet of chloris that's a nice flower i, I think it just goes for a meal <laughs> It's like feasts on a forest, and then he splooges a little bit, and everyone's like, oh, cool, it's metal. (laughs) (laughs) And then what? That's five minutes tops. Erato has been stuck in a pit. It's not like, you know, stamina is not going to be his forte right now. Erato is going to splooge metal within, like, two trees. (laughs) (laughs) But they've made an appointment later on that evening. Like, Erato had a whole afternoon to himself or herself or itself on this planet with no one specific to interact with. (laughs) What? How does Erato fill a day? (laughs) (laughs) Chilling out, playing with his dog. (laughs) (laughs) He is on multiple occasions referred to as a he. Oh, he is it. I thought Erato was a he, yeah. Yeah. Erato, by the way. Erato, I I hadn't looked up how how it's spelled, but Erato means mistaken. It is masculine singular, mistaken. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know why it's called, or he's called Erato. Nope, no idea. Yeah, it's like Erd. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho, two final points on my list. First off, 
I neglected to mention this before, but uh, David Brierley, the new slash current voice of, <laughs> then current voice of K9, you will be pleased to know he also featured in not one, but two nudie comedies about prostitution. <laughs> <laughs> I looked him up on IMDb to see what he'd been in. Like, he's done the usual Z cars and so on, but he'd also been in, I think it was called Sex Throughout the Ages, and another one that was just flat out called Escort Girls. It's like, oh, Okay, interesting. Right. Cool. Yeah, I may or may not have watched the trailer for that. <laughs> so that's point number one. And point number two is an actual Whovian bit of trivia slash an observation, what have you, whatever it would qualify as. TARDIS is an acronym, yeah. which stands for Time and Relative Dimension in Space. Mm-hmm. But this serial is one of very few in which that is basically misinterpreted because K9 uses the plural. K9 at one point calls its time and relative dimensions in space. Uh. Yeah, that may seem like a very petty observation, but that has happened on, I, I don't know, I mean, just let's just say a handful of times. It's probably happened, let's say, 10 times throughout uh, Classic Who. And yeah, this is one of them. This is one of those weird anomalies that uh, uh, all you nerds out there, Slash, and I, you know, really get bugged about. It's interesting, actually, because as you said it, I was like pausing on the, hmm, dimension, 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 dimension. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Vicky at one point, Vicky No Pants, that is, at one point said dimensions as well. I wonder if that's the only time that we've encountered it on, on Who Back When before, but... There, there are a number of these cases where it's misread. Anyway, uh, that's it. The rest of my notes are basically just uh, dick jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to throw in a, a very out of the blue uh, trivia note from, from Wikipedia. Oh. Just because you might get into this in a future audio. But Jeffrey ooh, Baldon, I'm gonna, I don't know, who played Organon, yeah. uh, goes on to portray an alternative version of the Doctor, one who never left Gallifrey. What? In a Big Finish production called Old Mortality. Oh, sorry, Old Mortality? Old, as in Old Lang Syne. Oh, right. Holy moly, That's that sounds super interesting. Not interesting. Yeah. That's so cool. He got to play a parallel version of the Doctor. Yeah. So jealous. But anyway, in uh, our particular dimension of space... Shall we go on to ratings? Uh, yes, let's do that. Let me just touch my nose real quick because I have no idea what I'm giving this. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, buddy. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Right then, by process of elimination, ergo, Leon put his finger on his nose. I am going first with our ratings. Uh, <laughs> well, as I said at the start of this podcast, I wasn't thinking too highly of this serial. Um, I think as we talked more about it and as the alcohol in my system has built up, I realized actually I did get a lot of entertainment out of this though. And actually the, the first couple of notes I wrote down as a sort of separate kind of reminder for how to rate this as a whole were both positives about the Doctor if you want them to be positives. Certainly the first one is, it's like Doc's on good for- Doc is on good form. There are lots of quips. At least there were in episodes one or two whenever I wrote that note down. Um, maybe, <laughs> they, maybe they disappear towards the end, I forget. But I, I think the Doc is written quite well and Tom Baker is having good fun with us. Which leads into my next point of just Tom Baker's eyes are permanently wide. <laughs> 
That man like, does not blink. He does not. And I think we probably had it in previous episodes, uh, previous serials, but I felt in this serial in particular, if there was a definite extra wide-eyedness to his portrayal, which may be a sign that Tom Baker was enjoying the script and just having fun. I don't know. Or maybe it's the director just saying, no, Tom, you need to open your eyes more. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll never know. But I, I appreciate it. I think that's a trait of his doctor that tells you something you know, compared to other doctors. I think as another positive thing, Adrasta makes a good villain. You definitely were aware of how commanding she was in multiple points. And the reveal that she's managed to keep this secret about the creature, you know, plays to her strengths as well. And I think you see quite early on that she's she's willing to kill people. Like she's she's the proper villain that, like we said, you know, you don't know why people would really want to be in the ploy of hers because chances are she's gonna kill you. But it's good. It worked. It worked well for me. I also enjoyed your huntsman has been upgraded um, aspect of the story <laughs> where just out of nowhere the guy that's whipping the the wolf weeds becomes super important and turns on Lady Astra Adrasta and ends up ruling the planet for for what that's worth the the one castle and adjacent tent. <laughs> but I think I definitely had issues with the way the humor mixed with the more serious side of the storytelling. I didn't really enjoy the bandits at all. I think the most maybe the odd occasion where if I had let myself sink into it a bit more, I might have found them funny. For the most part, I just found them annoying. Organon, actually now you've made the comparison, Leon, to Binro, I think I would have preferred just Binro. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The whole kind of can he really tell things from the stars? Is he just a fraud? That would have been an interesting thing if it'd be mixed in a bit more, but for the most part, it was just played straight like this guy is a soothsayer who reads the stars and all of his predictions are coming true. And then at the end, we get a slight kind of, or maybe he's a fraud, which didn't really work. It was just a bit of a throwaway thing. I don't think I massively enjoyed actually the trying to change the plot where you think the story's finished at the end of episode three and episode four is then jammed, packed with a B plot to get things padded out, it felt like to me. I was scanning back through previous reviews to get a kind of feel for what I might want to rate this. It was making me think back to the Stones of Blood and the strange kind of change in pacing with that. And I, I'm totally not opposed to, you know, story story twists, but it kind of felt like it was a little bit ham-fisted and I didn't really care at this point in the story that the crone was suddenly trying to do something with her character and the bandits were trying to do something with their characters. It's like, these were people I didn't care about and this was a storyline I didn't care about. It wasn't the Huntsman just coming forward and being a, a, a standout character. It was just throwaway characters just doing a throwaway plot. So, yes, there was some fun to be had. Yes, there were some good production values. Yes, there was a giant green penis. But ultimately, I don't have a strong desire to rewatch this. I don't know if I would recommend it to anyone else to re- to watch in particular. So it's it's just kind of like good and staining, not great. Two point seven. Two point seven. Just above average. Okay. All right. I'm <laughs> writing that down. Two point seven from Jim. Very nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're not too far off each other, by the way, rating okay. wise. I'll be very brief. The Doctor, brilliant. 
he gets a lot of opportunities in this one to just be comedic, to be absurd, to be that crazy, zany, alien version of the Doctor that we love Tom Baker for. And I include the teach yourself Tibetan thing in this, by the way, which it really stood in my notes. I remember when I saw that on on screen, when I saw that on the TV, watching this episode the other night, I remember thinking, that really stands out as odd to be, but now, in hindsight... I love that that happened, because he is insane. Ramona's not great in this one, in my opinion. But, don't get me wrong, I like her, but I think the fact that, as we discussed tonight, the fact that this is her first produced Doctor Who serial kind of lends her a little bit of leeway. Like, I- I'm prepared to be more flexible in my my judgment of Lala Ward as Ramona in this one, because she's figuring it out, and so is the rest of the production staff. So, you know, there's a new character, there's new actor uh, or actress on, on stage or on set. I can't speak. Uh, but fine. Okay, so it, it, good, bad, they kind of cancel each other out in a way. K9 was wonderful in this one. I loved K9 to bits. I liked that he had a little bit more dialogue. I liked that he was sassy. Uh, good stuff. It, very recently, this is a... By the way, uh, Who Back When exclusive for this episode, K9 may appear in a future Who Back When audiobook. Ooh. And in a conversation with Drew quite recently, he asked me, so w- what is K9 like? And one of the things that I said was, he's a sarcastic little bastard. <laughs> And that's why I love him, and one of the many reasons why I love him. And in this serial, more so than in prior serials, I feel like we really got to see that. We, we, we saw that sarcastic bastard in action. Great. Good stuff. Unfortunately, it's not John Leeson. It's not the voice that we are accustomed to hearing. And I don't want to be uh, rude to David Briley any more so than we've already been. Uh, but it took me out of it having that character suddenly recast fine. The Hagrids love them two bits. I refuse to even substantiate that argument. They are great. (laughs) You are wrong. (laughs) Here's another thing, though, where we disagree. You felt that Lady Adrastra, the artist formerly known as uh, Princess Adrastra, was a great villain. I was not that convinced by her. Uh, I felt that she was maybe a little OTT at times. And um, just sort of an unsubstantiated antagonist. What's this whole lady? Like, what is she a lady of? Why is she in charge? What? Why is anyone listening to her? Clearly, at the end of part four, we learned that no one has to listen to her. So why have people been listening to her so far? Yeah, I don't really buy it. Bin Romok 2, possibly my favorite part of this serial. The plot in general, we've already talked about it. It's. I think the thing is, the plot of the serial is actually really good. It's quite interesting, but then the execution of it, or what they've made with the actual sort of foundation or the core material here, that you have this, there's a diplomatic mission, there's a weird economic situation, you know, like a pla- on a planetary scale that's all askew. Is it a distress call or is it not a distress, distress call? All these things are super interesting. And also you have these different factions of the... The, the aristocrats and her hench uh, and their henchmen, and then the Hagrids on the other side. That's interesting stuff, but we never really explore all that shit. And you remember if I said if I didn't mention the dick and balls? How big is it? Really hot stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that we've now finally seen the scene, that legendary scene of Tom Baker giving a blowjob to an alien. I don't feel like that is what we saw, but that is what the internet would like us to think. 
that we saw. I'm glad that we've seen it. So I think, okay, right. All in all, I've been yammering on here. All in all, I think it's time to be realistic. Looking at my past ratings for Classic Who, I feel like I've been way too generous recently. So I need to be realistic. I I looked at some older uh, serials that I'd given like 2.2, 2.7, whatever, 2.1 even. And and these are serials that are really in my memory now. So I feel like I need to be realistic about this. I can't give it 4.5. I'm giving this a 2.4. Ooh, and lower than me, wow. Lower than you. Scooting in underneath average. Wow. Wait, you had a rating which you changed before... Yeah, it was 2.6. 2.6. Even so. that was below yours. It was. Yeah. I, I very nearly went straight down the line as just like a 2.5, because I couldn't decide. I, I started, to be honest, before we chatted, at maybe like a 1.7. But you talked me up, buddy. Well, well you talked me down, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're both here to do. <laughs> How about we listen to Podcast Land and see if they can talk us up or down? Let's do that. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Holy moly, we have arrived at the listener mini section of this podcast episode. And first out through the gate, we have Peter Zunich. It's the Zunmeister. Hello, Peter. Long time no see, man. Yeah, hi, Tim, Peter. Good to hear from me. This also reminds me, I need to email you. (laughs) (laughs) Peter has had an article in the pipeline for for the Who Back When blog for ages that I I realized recently I haven't published. Peter, apologies. I apologize from the bottom of my heart. Right. um, Do you want to start this one off? Sure. Peter starts. Okay. I admit it. This is a goofy story and ought not to be liked. And I think it's just grand. Hooray. (laughs) (laughs) Is it the script writing or Mr. Adams' supervising that makes every character immensely enjoyable? Tom Baker is extraordinary in this series, even for Tom Baker. Mm. Romana's confidence allows her to handle any situation, sometimes with the dominance of a time lady, sometimes not so successfully, but always enjoyable. The dialogue is once again phenomenal. Adraster is the perfect over-the-top minor villain. Yeah, see my buddy who agrees with me. Uh, (laughs) I just used that as an argument against her. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone from Unta Corella to the Weed Master are wonderful sidekicks. Even the bumbling bandits are top-notch. Agreed. Peter continues, however, there are also some top botch. Erato's design was an error. Granted, it was really an impossible task to create such a creature, given the time and budget. But the proby arm thing, just no. And the spaceship with bumps for your pleasure? <laughs> <laughs> Some designer had the wrong inspirations for this one. Or, Peter, I submit, just the right ones. <laughs> <laughs> the other botch, says Peter, is simply the presumptions one must endure to allow the premise of this story. One metal mine on an entire planet. <laughs> all that vegetation. And nobody invented hedge trimmers. <laughs> And what can cross a galaxy but can't weave itself a ladder? Yeah, good point. But I I think this kind of feeds into the whole, like, wait, how did it arrive at the palace at the end? I don't remember there being a scene where they lead it out of the caves. There's dialogue. 
that says that they are helping it out. The, oh, really? The oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. It, it's still, oh, Peter's what? argument is solid. Right, so Peter concludes, just don't look too closely and you've got one immensely enjoyable series. The sets are fantastic. The world is intriguing. The effects, fantastic. It's just also improbably impossible. You may not appreciate this gem, but those of us who do have our finger up our noses. I mean, alongside... I'm a little aroused. <laughs> Do you like greenery, eggs, and ham? 4.3. 4.3? Holy moly, Peter Zunich. Oh, Peter, you have a huge heart. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> that is some awesome stuff. <laughs> so glad you found it that enjoyable, Peter. Yes. Thank you very much for that mini. And also, glad to hear from you again, dude. Who have we got next, Jim? Next up, we've got Paul Waring. Hello, Paul. Hey there, Paul. Paul starts. When the threat in the title turns out to be a green beanbag with an embarrassing appendage, Oi. you know the creature from the pit is not a story to show as an introduction to classic food. <laughs> <laughs> Lest of you will be put off for good. It's not as bad as the special effects make out, though. I love the character of Organon. He has some great lines and works well with the Doctor as the comic relief. The wolf weeds are an interesting concept, although it's not clear how they manage to disable K9. Surely smothering shouldn't work on a mechanical creature. Yeah, very good point. I'm unsure how I feel about the new voice for K9. Perhaps I'm used to John Leeson, but it didn't sound quite right. Yes, uh, a million percent yes. Paul <laughs> continues, as is often the case, the palace guards are silent, inept, and unable to die convincingly. Although I was impressed by the one who managed to spin around and fall into the pit. Oh yeah, that was nice. Speaking of deaths, some of these are fairly brutal by Classic Who standards. Here's our friend who agrees with us. <laughs> Indeed. With several people stabbed in the front or back, even though we don't see any blood. Overall, says Paul, this is a good story, but the special effects mean it works better as a novel, and City of Death is a hard act to follow. Oh, yes. And Paul gives this a... Three out of five. Nice. Very nice, Paul. Very nice. Podcast Land, the rest of Podcast Land, everyone in Podcast Land who isn't Paul, in fact. Do you agree? Do you disagree? You know there is one way that you can let Paul know. Find Paul on Twitter. He can be found at P. Waring. That's P. Waring. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Ooh, who have we got next? It's Andy. Hey, Andy. Andy Parkinson. Hello there, Andy. <laughs> I don't know why we both went sort of fake American there. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Andy has been incredibly considerate and has provided both a maxi and a mini. We will, of course, be reading the mini here, but go to the website for the maxi and read it in its full splendor. Jim, take it away. A planet with a scarcity of metal is the setting for this story, ruled by a wicked queen and her evil stepmother as her sidekick. Throw in some totally useless bandits and a giant green blob, and we have a reasonably enjoyable romp with some funny lines. Some of my favorites are... What can you do with a jawbone of an ass? Oh, don't be a Philistine. Those are both my worst Romana and my worst Tom Baker, by the way. I apologize. <laughs> you just stuck it in a pit and threw people at it. <laughs> Did you hear that, Romana? Corella's going to kill you and you with your hair all messed up. <laughs> What? 74,384,338? Well, oh, that's a 
That's extraordinary. Why, that's my lucky number. (laughs) The basic premise of the story is okay, and I quite like the wolf weeds, even if it isn't explained how they can be commanded by the guardmaster. Any training would infer an amount of intelligence. Maybe they're distantly related to the crinoids. Or the weed and the wolf. Yes. There's a good supporting cast with Jeffrey Belden as Organon, who is great fun. Lady Adrasta and Corella are a little pantomime-esque as Lady Adrasta and her evil stepmother, sidekick Corella. Every time they appear on screen, I have the urge to shout, She's behind you! <laughs> Nonetheless, they do steal the limelight whenever they are on screen, and Corella has some deliciously devious scenes. Indeed. There are a few boobs, most notably the awful bandits, but those aside... Yeah, awful bandits, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what you guys are talking about. But those aside, it's an okay story, just not up to the others in the Douglas Adams era. And Andy awards this a 2.9 Wolfweeds out of 5. Nice. That is a seriously solid rating, dude. Very nice. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed for sharing that. Please, Podcast Land, do yourselves not one, but two favors. A, head on over to whobackwhen.com, find this episode, you know how the internet works, read Andy's maxi in its full splendor, it's good stuff, and then head on over to Twitter where you can high-five Andy and tell him hi from us. Andy can be found at Caffrey's 71. That's right. (laughs) That's Caffrey's 71, that's right, all in one word. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. Just Don't confuse the people. <laughs> Thanks very much, Andy. So who's the next one from, Jim? Well, we've got a review from Joe Ford. What up, Joe? Doko Ho himself. Doko Ho himself, indeed. Hey there, Joe. Joe starts. Creature from the pit plays like a pantomime, complete with an ice queen, comedy bandit, a monster, and a moral. Aww. If you cut away one episode and the bandits, this would be a much sharper piece and probably enjoy a better reputation. Tom Baker is enticingly good, but Lana Ward is yet to perfect her interpretation of Romana. With old-school actors such as Eileen Way and Jeffrey Bailden present, the story feels a lot more necessary than it has any right to be. But I do love how the script suddenly pulls itself together in the last episode and surprises with a trip into hard science after all the mucking about in caves. Mm, interesting. Mm. Continues. The creature is an attempt to do something wildly different that doesn't quite come off, but you can see what they are aiming at in certain scenes. Tom Baker helps immeasurably to sell the likelihood of such a creature. And it even works in execution during some shots. This story is best watched at Christmas with young children, a teaspoon, and an open mind. It isn't a favorite of mine, concludes Joe, by any stretch of imagination, but it is always a story that I enjoy. And he gives this 3.0 out of 5. Nice stuff. Very good. Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, Excellent mini as always. Please, Podcast Land... You need to do yourselves not one, not two, but three favors in the case of Joe. Uh, you need to follow Doc Oho online uh, on Twitter. Check out Doc Oho Reviews. And also check out at Nimon Podcast or Nimon Podcast. And obviously also follow them on iTunes. Subscribe.
subscribe to them. Have a listen. Tell them hi from us. Fellow Doctor Who podcast. Awesome stuff. Yeah, thank you very much, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Who we got next? Oh, we got that lovely bit of peppery taste with Phil Salter. <laughs> Hello, Phil. Phil starts. The problem with this story is the concept is amazing. Mm. A political drama around the control of resources and the treatment of those different to ourselves. However, it's just oh. But Lady Adrasta is so hammingly acted. Tom Baker gives oral to an alien blob slash testicle bag. <laughs> There's some really good lines. However, after the City of Death, it's hard to see this being nearly as good. So here's the point at which Tom really starts to take control with silliness. The teach yourself Tibetan bit is just a silly bit too far. Oh, mm. the lie down to reason line is very funny. Agreed. So the big blobby alien has a name. It's called Erato. I don't know why, but the name somehow doesn't fit at all. Also, that device to talk through people's larynx, it's a funny device. But how does it actually work? Humans create sounds mostly through their mouth and tongue shapes, but they're clearly not moving their mouths at any point. You know what? That's a very good point, because in the beginning, I wasn't sure if everyone could hear that voice or if it was telepathic. Yeah, no, I had the same thing, actually. Mm. Mm. Phil continues, uh, from here to 1988, when the seventh doctor <laughs> really picks up, there's a fair few Doctor Who stories that I'd describe as beige. Don't get me wrong, I love the era, and there's some phenomenal stories that are some of my all-time favorites, but there's just a fair few grey kind of stories. It's okay, I guess. Lots are running around. And what would he give this, Jim? Apparently, Phil would give this 1.8 out of 5. Holy moly! Very, oh wow, probably the most down-to-earth of us all, Phil. Thank you very much, Phil. Yep, we get it, Phil. We definitely get it. <laughs> yeah, we do, definitely. Uh, Phil adds a PS, by the way. Wait until next week. The Horns of Nymon, or Nimon, is one of the best stories ever! All caps. Wow. I think that's two serials from now, actually. Oh, is it two? Okay. I think so. We... The next one is uh, something of Eden or Paradise. Oh. Oh, whatever. Uh, we'll find Eden. out shortly. Eden. Yes. Yeah. That's the one, yeah? Yeah. But we all understand how to uh, pronounce Joe's podcast. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Phil. Thank you, Phil. On other reviewers, is that right? Yes. Th that is right, yes. Next up, we have Michael Ridgeway. 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 Hello, Michael. Hello there, Michael. So big. <laughs> this time we have got some mini reactions from mm. Michael. So for episode one, we have... Oh my, what a big horn. <laughs> <laughs> also, that's not my canine. His voice is too posh. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, hashtag not my canine. <laughs> not my canine. Thumbs up for the evil Tribble Wolfweeds. More, please. Yes. And guest starring Fagan and his crew as the Cockney Bandits. If they don't sing You've Got to Pick a Pocket or Two, I'll be very disappointed. Well, Michael, you were very disappointed. Yeah. And for episode two, we have someone get Romana some counter-interrogation training. I'll tell you nothing. Mild slap from Adrasta. I'll tell you everything! <laughs> Only the Daleks had known when they were interrogating Romana a few stories back, one sucker punch, and she would have confessed all. Uh, there's a footnote for this one. No, oh, do tell. Uh, footnote to the frankly hilarious sucker punch joke, says <laughs> Michael. <laughs> 
<laughs> Such a genius. This is a play on the word soccer in the fighting technique soccer punch as Daleks have suckers. I do not condone violence against women or anyone except perhaps Nazis, critics of the seventh doctor and raspberry farmers. I fucking hate raspberries. They remind me of a spider's face. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yes. you very much for that yeah. clarifying footnote. Episode three. <laughs> Episode three. What does he say for this? Oh my, that's a big proboscis. What are you doing, Doctor? This is a family show. Episode four. Ah, the old Chucker Tythonian ambassador in a pit and maintain a monopoly on the planet's metal supply. Trick. The bloke whose job is whipping wolfweeds is now in charge of Chloris. Is he qualified? About as qualified as a draster was, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> and in summary, says Michael, this story might have been rubbish, but the cheap Sauvignon Blanc put me in the right mood. <laughs> Organon was awesome. Yeah, we can relate. <laughs> <laughs> and he gives this a rating of what, Jim? Oh, it's, uh, I believe, 3.8 out of 5. Unfortunate astrologers lobbed into a pet to die horrible, albeit unexplained, deaths. <laughs> They die because there's a bloody big pit, Michael. Yeah, it's the, f- it's the fall that kills you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is an awesome mini, an, an awesome set of mini reactions, Michael. Thank you very much. Very good. Thank you so much, Michael. People who are not Michael, you know what to do. You're probably already doing this, but you know what? Listen to us say it one more time. Please follow Michael on Twitter. High five him from us. Michael can be found at bad underscore movie underscore club. <laughs> yep, that's it. No yeah. underscore. <laughs> Sorry, neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> And that concludes this evening's review of The Creature from the Pit. Holy moly. I have had a spiffing time and I am off my tits, Jim. (laughs) I couldn't even spell my own face. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, I know what you mean. Wow. (laughs) Even in different countries, we're in sync with drunkenness. Absolutely. So... What, what? Hell. (laughs) (laughs) What hell? What fresh hell do we have coming up next? (laughs) What chewy bakes do we coming? Will be coming out of the uh, who back when oven next up? (laughs) Well, next up there'll be a new who review, namely the Witch's Familiar. After which we're back in classic country with what, Jim? Apparently it will be the Nightmare of Eden. Mm-mm. At some point we'll probably also do an audio review that'll still be relative dimensions. Cool. Mm. And in bonus territory, you know what, who knows? Uh, we don't know. We'll figure it out. Create enough bloops that there'll be one of it. <laughs> exactly. By the way, so the next classic is Nightmare of Eden. The one after that... Horns of Nymon or Nimon, however you pronounce it. After that, Sharda. The reason I bring this up now is that I, I looked this up today. There are six different versions of Sharda available. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, don't worry, about. by the way, Jim. Feel free to just watch one. <laughs> <laughs> Of those six versions, one is a novel, which I do not intend to read, and one is an audiobook, which I think is identical to the BBCI webcasts, but that still makes it four slash five different versions. And for the sake of completionism, I will 
I intend to go through all four slash five. So wow. anyone out there in podcast land, you may want to start preparing now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, nerd glass pushed further up the bridge yeah. of your nose. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, or in the meantime, you can say hello to us online. Jim, I believe you are available in some sort of Twitter, Twitter sphere. <laughs> yeah, the, the Twitter sphere is is the Nick. Ich heiße Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the Who, sagst du? Yeah. <laughs> also wunderbar, dann werde ich dich folgen. All right. You can find me as well. I can be found at Ponkin so far. Kenneth Pond. <laughs> Kenneth Pond. Yeah. Uh, by the way, side note, I thought of something I wanted to call myself today. I looked it up on Twitter if it was available. It had already been taken by someone who has zero followers, follows five people, and has never tweeted. Poke, poke Twitter. They'll give it to you. Oh, I wonder. Or maybe I will. I will try that. But yeah, Ponkin. Until the next time, again, thank you so much. You've been a lovely audience. Until the next time, Rock on, be rad and excellent to each other. Watch the Bill and Ted 3 trailer and cha ciao. See ya. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of Who Back When. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers. Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao ciao. It's too big even for you.